Welcome to this special emergency episode of Milwaukee's Tailgate Podcast. I'm Ryan Top, and I'm joined today by J.P. Breen. How are you enjoying your day before uh, Thanksgiving, J.P.? Uh, well, it's been it's been fine. I mostly got up and then tried to follow a little bit what was happening with the Brewers. Uh, being on the West Coast means you're a little bit behind most things these days. And then uh, and then I watched uh, Liverpool kind of stink up the joint for a little bit and then magically get better at the end once they decided to actually play, you know, a team that made sense. So now we're now we're talking about the the trade. Yep. And some other stuff, too. I mean, we had a bunch of news come out today. I was on my way to Madison for uh, spending Thanksgiving with my my folks and I pulled off the freeway and hit a stoplight. And so I checked my phone and all of a sudden I see that there's like a million messages and everybody's talking about Luis Urias. And I was like, what has just happened? So it took a few minutes to like uh, adapt myself to all that. And then I had to run over to to Andy Schaff's place and grab a microphone because I didn't bother to bring anything with me. And so I wanted to make sure that we could get something out there. Uh, I, I would point out that Steve was the one who suggested this, but he wasn't able to, to be on it. So. I was going to say, I appreciated the fact that Steve was like, we're going to do one, right? And then I was like, and I was like, I guess I could, you know, I guess we can do one. And then he's like, I'm not doing it. We're like, oh, so you're volunteering other people to do it. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is extremely on brand. So that is, that is fantastic. Um, so anyway, we want to keep this short, but we do have a lot to talk about. So we should probably just dive right into this. Um, after I tell you that Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced top grenades. You know them for their great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. Get on over to the tap room on Kinsman Boulevard, and you can do that actually this Friday, and they have a bunch of special beers coming out. So I would highly recommend that. Also, you can get 20% off merch on the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKE Tailgate. As always, check out carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. All right, JP. So the big news of the day is that the Brewers traded Trent Grisham and Zach Davies to the San Diego Padres for Luis Urias, Eric Lauer, and a player to be named later or cash. What was your first reaction to this? Well, my first reaction was, oh, hey, I like I like Louis Sirius. Well, that's cool. And then it was trying to, uh, you know, unpack everything that was going to be happening. I was surprised that Trent Grisham is is the one moving. But, you know, on reflection, I think that makes a little bit of sense. Um, yeah, it's just it's always it's interesting just because it's one of those things that was a little bit off the radar. Uh, but addresses a hole that we've been talking about for quite a while and and many people on Twitter have since pointed out the fact that uh the Brewers and Padres have been in conversation about something along these lines it sounds like ever since last summer uh cuz basically a lot of people were pointing out the fact that Ken Rosenthal I believe it was Ken Rosenthal said that the Brewers and Padres have been talking and Trent Grisham's name had come up. And so it's not 100% surprising that this ended up happening. And as we've seen with a lot of Brewers trades in the past or a lot of Brewers moves in the past, these don't just come out of nowhere. These are things that kind of uh, percolate over over a few months. And, and there are a lot of things being... A lot of the groundwork is being laid way ahead of time, right? And so I think a lot of the time folks get a little bit frustrated when moves don't happen or you hear a lot of things about potential trades and then they end up not coming to fruition and then you know six months down the road you can actually find that these things uh did actually bear some fruit just maybe not as quickly as people thought right and those discussions absolutely had to have you know been very important to at least setting the framework for what was going to happen here um uh, you know my first reaction to it was of course how much you know I hate to give up Trent Grisham because he had sort of become a quick favorite of mine over the past uh, months here. But Urias is also a guy who we'll get into this a little bit more later, but there have been scouts who have put potential future eighties on his hit tool. Now that's a little bit in the past at this point, uh, but people really, really like, uh, like a common grade that you saw for him was a 70 hit tool. The question was more about whether or not he was going to hit, uh, for power and whether or not like the defense was going to play it short. And then it sort of became a moot point for San Diego with the emergence to stardom 
of Fernando Tatis Jr., they clearly didn't have a need at shortstop anymore. So Urias was going to need to move over to second base, which he probably would have done fine at that. But there was always going to be at least some wasted value there. If you have a guy who can play shortstop, but you've moved him over to second base, you're losing at least a little bit of value there, right? So, I mean, I don't necessarily know that, especially when you've got Urias, who is a questionable short defensive shortstop. I mean, he's not a bad defensive shortstop by all accounts, but he's certainly fringy. Uh, and if you can get a guy like Urias at second base who doesn't necessarily hit for a ton of power, but is going to be a, a really good defensive second baseman, actually, you might get better overall value at second base if you're thinking about the construction of a team. In a vacuum, certainly, we talk about player value and defensive value and that somebody playing second base is less value than somebody at, at shortstop. But I don't think it really works out that way a lot of the time, especially if you think about... You, in general, those calculations are made like when people are kind of uh capable of doing both at similar levels right and there is you know definitely a drop off there i do think yours is probably a capable shortstop we'll see how said, long well, that yeah. holds up i mean i said he's as he ages uh, and matures yeah i mean he's he's fringy right like that that means he can he can hold down a job there much like you know trent grisham is probably fringy in center well, let's get right into this question then, because um, Alabama Brewer on Twitter asked, with a big upgrade at shortstop in Urias, uh, what is the plan with Orlando Arcia? Will he be a part of a trade package, or is he too low in value and will be dropped to waivers? I, or, in this case, he actually could potentially be non-tendered. So, what what are your thoughts there? Well, I'll throw, I'll throw it to you, because, you know, you were saying that we still maybe had a potential all-star on our hands. <laughs> I did. Um, I don't think that this necessarily means that Orlando Arcia is gone for good. We have seen the Brewers uh, in the past willing to juggle around guys, and Arcia has struggled enough offensively that like he can't claim that he should have like a starting spot and you know like be overly upset if he has to to split time at this point. So I think that there is the possibility, depending on what else they do, and this is all going to be contingent on what other moves happen. I think that uh, you could see Orlando Arcia stick around as a basically a a backup, uh, a guy who would come in and probably mostly play shortstop when he's on the field, but that could allow Urias to move around to other positions as well to fill in at second base when Keston Hura is not playing, to potentially fill in at third base, depending on what they do there. I think that they could use them sort of in tandem. And we've seen that Craig Council and David Stearns like to juggle players around. So I wouldn't necessarily say that Urias's uh coming out of the team means that Orlando Arcia has to go. I would point out though, that it at $2.7 million, which is what MLB trade rumors projects Orlando Arcia to make this year in his first year of arbitration. Uh, that is a sizable chunk of change to spend for a guy that is, you know, kind of like a defensive replacement at shortstop at this point, pending what else, you know, might develop with him working with the new assistant hitting coach that so much wanted to uh to work with with Arcia. We'll kind of have to see how that plays out, but I I guess it is probably likely that they move on from Arcia at this point, more likely than not, but I wouldn't say that it's a foregone conclusion, would you? No, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion, not because I mean, frankly, I don't really think there's much value in keeping somebody like him who's going to be a defensive capable a defensively capable uh reserve or like bench player, I guess. Um, maybe because you're going to have a 26-man roster now, maybe you can afford that. But at the same time, I don't think RC is going to bring much to the table in terms of backup value. Urias is interesting because he's far from a sure thing. And so I think it'd also be really strange to go into the 2020 season with him as the only option at shortstop. The only reason I think that Arcia might stick around is the fact that he's still got an option remaining. And they could... They could try to to send him to the minors. Uh, I think that'd be unpopular. I think he would hate it. And I think that uh, rightfully he would um, be upset about it. Not because it's about who deserves what, but somebody in the big leagues for a long time doesn't want to go back down to AAA. So I would expect him to not want to do that. I don't I don't think he's got any trade value. 
Uh, so I think if if he is going to move, it'll be via non-tender. And I think the only shot that is going to kind of have Arcia stick around is the fact that he does have that option remaining. Maybe they do try to move him into kind of a utility man role, or maybe it then allows Urias to move around a little bit. But at the same time, like Orlando Arcia has been either the worst or the second worst hitter in all of baseball for two straight years. Um, I don't necessarily know how much value you, how much value does it bring to keep a guy on the bench because he's really good defensively at shortstop? I, I don't know. I mean, if they did, they would have to be working under the hope that he could improve because as it is as a hitter, uh, what he's been doing, obviously this is why they made the move for for Urias is it wasn't working. That was not acceptable. So they needed to give themselves at least another option, but I don't think necessarily it's time to completely write off Orlando Arcia as a capable big league hitter. Uh, We've seen flashes. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's been a while since we've seen flashes, but at the same time, again, as we've seen with tons and tons of hitters, and we have this discussion all throughout the 2019 season, just because he moves on from the Brewers doesn't mean that everyone is saying he can't be a capable big leaguer. It just means that it might not be a big leaguer or worthwhile on the Brewers roster just because of how it's constructed. Um, So we'll we'll see how it goes. I think I don't think $2 million is a meaningful amount of money at all. I I think even if you brought somebody in who was a a defensive specialist who had had big league experience, it would cost more than $2 million to bring somebody back. So I'm not convinced it's a real money saver or worthwhile in terms of that. It's just about like, do you want to have functionally a defensive specialist at shortstop take up one of your roster spots? Yeah. Yeah, so we will have to wait and see on that. There was another question that I wanted to get to here from uh, Charlie Softball, and this was on Twitter. Uh, have you guys heard anything about Urias changing his swing like uh, Eno Saris mentioned? Is any of this concerning to you? So I'm going to defer to you on this one, JP. What what have you heard about this, and where where do you think his swing is at this moment? I mean, the only thing that I have heard, and I'm not aware of anything that you know, in particular has, has talked about this. So I'm not equipped to answer that. I actually tried to find it a little bit on Twitter and I couldn't find anything on it. So it, I don't know if it's on a podcast or if it's on a written work, but it at least wasn't on Twitter that I was able to find really quickly. And basically Urias by all accounts tried to start hitting for more power, um, this past year and maybe a little bit before that. I can't really remember. I know that you know, Keith Law really started to talk about the fact that Urias for a long time would use a big uh, a big leg kick to try to generate some power for the first couple of strikes. But once he got down to two strikes, he really shortened up and he really, you know, focused on not striking out, putting the ball in play. And he said that that actually changed in 2019. And he was consciously trying to hit for more power. We saw some effects of that at Triple A, where he absolutely, you know, mashed the snot out of the ball all year. And... Everyone did that at AAA. He hit for a lot more power than normal. I don't know how much of that is swing related. I don't know how much of that is just, you know, the fact that the ball changed, how much that is related. But at the same time, actually in September, Urias had a had a really nice month. He hit 300. Uh, he did strike out a little bit more than, you know, he has done in the past. But he had an, an OPS right around 800, which you'd think he's a little capable, a little bit better power than that he's much more of a doubles guy and i put on on twitter that you know urias if you want to think about his bat it's a little bit like you know cesar hernandez it's a little bit like you know ahmed rosario with the bat itself rosario is a better defender but it's a little bit like rosario but like a dude who can walk a little bit more than what rosario can do and so for me i think you're looking at urias who's maybe a two or three win player i don't necessarily know if he is an all-star unless the hit tool really shows up dramatically and can play defense really well. Uh, he still has some question marks, but at the same time, I do think he's actually a much better hitter than people expected, but I would take his triple a uh, stats from t- uh, 2019 with a grain of salt. I'd actually look back at his 2018 triple a uh, results. If you want to see a little bit more of what he's like. Yeah. And to your point in 2019, he hit 315, 398, 600 in AAA. And in 2018, it was 296, 
398, 447. So if, if those numbers from 2018 are indicative, that's still a pretty damn good player up the middle in terms of offensive profile. There's a lot of walks and a solid amount of power there. But oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's basically what, you know, the good version of Cesar Hernandez in 2017 was basically a 300 guy, somebody who was going to walk about as much as he struck out due to hit about 15 homers. I think he had 14 that year, if I remember correctly, when I was looking at it. But, you know, like Hernandez that year, I think was a, a three, three and a half one player. Maybe I, I should look that up. It seems a little bit low now, actually, that I'm describing him. But uh, it's it is it's a profile that has question marks i think a lot of people are going to be yeah he was about four win player that year yeah give or take at the same time i do think that so many people saw urius as such a highly ranked player for so long that i don't think they really thought about what the offensive profile is and it is a profile that is built much more for a dude who's going to get on base a bunch and hit uh, and hit well. It's not going to be one that's really geared for power. Yeah. So moving on to the second piece that the Brewers received in the trade, they got Eric Lauer from um, the Padres, and he was a first round pick back in 2016, 25th overall pick of the Padres. Was he out of Kent and State? He's... What's that? I think was he out of Kent State? Is is he the guy that I'm remem- remembering out of there? Anyway, sorry, that's just. A, I don't. Uh, I don't have it in front of me. Sorry, I'm not. I'm not looking at a page that has that. <laughs> he was out of Kent State. Yeah, nailed it. Um. So he is. He is still only 24. And I going back one second. I do want to point out. Uh, Luis Urias did play most of 2019 as a 21 year old. So he's still quite young. So yeah, he, but he's not. Of, but he's not project. He's not like he's going to hit for more power just because he gets older. No, no, no. But there there also are sometimes more developments that can happen with guys who are a little bit younger. So anyway, moving on to Eric Lauer. Uh, Eric Lauer's 24 this year, and he was he was useful for the Padres this year, though. I think that you have to look at his numbers. He put up a uh, in 149 major league innings this year. He put up a uh, a 445 ERA with. Yeah, of peripheral numbers that were kind of suggestive that he was around in that area. Um, but he was doing this playing half of his games in San Diego. Do you think that there's another level for him to get to? Is is this actually, we had a question. I might as well do the question right away because uh, it is very on topic for this. Uh, so um, I think it's Michael Heitkamp actually asked this on Twitter. Lauer probably, oh, I'm sorry, wrong one. Uh, Joe Rasmussen asked this. Um, does Lauer match the type the Brewers seem to be targeting with the Ethan small draft pick? Uh, no, I, I don't see that. Uh, no, I, they're not, they're not similar pitchers. Okay. I, the question being, so, uh, Lauer is a guy who sits in the low to mid nineties. Um, so I think his average fastball this last year was around 91. Uh, so yeah, but they but the Ethan Small pick is much more about uh, TrackMan results. It's much more about the the kind of the shape of his pitches. Eric Lauer relies on a, a splitter, or, or not a splitter, uh, on a cutter, and Ethan Small's not doing that at all. Um, it's a and Ethan Small's a lot more about the way that his um, his arm slots coming on through. I think Lauer is interesting because he started working higher with his fastball as it ended up going, but um, no, Ethan Small is all, is is about like. He's TrackMan superstar. Okay. And I should point out, Fangraphs actually had him at 2.3 wins above replacement in under 150 innings this last year. So he was a pretty decent pitcher. And I guess the the San Diego Park adjustment isn't what it used to be. So you don't necessarily have to totally degrade for that. I was going to say, not not to... I'm going to be a little bit of a party pooper um, because... Well, that's who I am. Um, (laughs) We all we all have roles. Um, And so Eric Lauer at home last year had a 308 ERA and on the road he had a six. So rock on. That's quite good. Uh, I think. No. So to answer the question, no, I don't think that, you know, Lauer is profiling as somebody that that they want to come in and think that he is is somebody that profiles well in the same way that Ethan Small does. 
Um, getting to that Michael Heitkamp question that I thought I was reading before, uh, does Lauer slot right into the rotation at this point for you? I'd, I mean, when I first saw the trade, my immediate thought was, and I put it on Twitter, was basically like, you know, they were like, well, how can I get, you know, Zach Davies for three extra years? Um, because basically he profiles in the same way that that Zach Davies does. A, a dude who doesn't really strike out a ton of guys, um, somebody who is much more valuable because he takes the ball every fifth day and kind of keeps you in. He's a he's a back-end grinder dude who is going to frustrate some a lot of fans because he's there are going to be times where he is bad and there are going to be times when he is effective. Uh, but at the same time, thinking about it more, there were two things that, that ended up popping up uh, to me quite a bit. And the first one is I actually looked at his numbers last year and I looked at his numbers in 2018. So largely looked at uh, 2019 numbers first, but then kind of expanded it to look at the career because I wasn't really sure that I was looking at something that was sustainable. And in general throughout his career, but especially last year, he is, uh, he's been quite successful the first time through the order. And then second and third time through the order, he's been uh, bad. And it's one of those things that does make you think, well, is is he somebody that could be a, you know, Brett Suter type guy out of the bullpen? Somebody that you go to and say, uh, you know, you're good for your first couple of innings out. You're for good your first time through the order, but through your first time, you know, first two times, your first two go rounds in the big leagues. That is, um, anytime you start seeing an order second time around, uh, they start just absolutely teeing off. So that gives me some question marks. Um, and the other question mark is they have so many arms on the roster right now and they've got so much money to spend that it does make you think that they are not done acquiring arms. And at the same time, when you look at somebody like Lauer, you know, of course, what does he have that everybody loves? If you're a Milwaukee Brewers fan, he's got three options remaining. So he is absolutely not somebody that's just going to sneak in. Yeah. Uh, moving on over to the Brewers side of this deal. Uh, I think that I was most surprised when I saw that Zach Davies was included in the deal. Like I sort of figured once I knew that Urias was in the deal and I saw that Grisham was the return for him, I'm like, okay, yep, that makes sense. Like that is the kind of player you would have to get up to give him. I was a little bit surprised to see Davies and that's when I started to go, okay, what else is in this deal? Um, With Davies, what do you think was driving this decision to include him in this deal? Why was he expendable, do you think? Uh, service time. So the fact that he has two years of control left and then he is a free agent. Yeah, I think, you know, they've got uh, Eric Lauer is not projected to be a free agent until 2024 and has three options remaining. And they're both they both profile as back end starters. And I think basically what they did is, you know, it's a little bit like what the Brewers did when they ended up moving Martin Maldonado to um, to the Angels and ended up getting Jet Bandy back. And you were like, well, they're kind of the same player, but of course Jet Bandy has a lot of control years left. And certainly, as our lovely listeners will be uh, will be thinking, and as your face currently says, Ryan, uh, Jet Bandy wasn't very good. Um, so there is a chance that uh, Eric Lauer isn't as good of a pitcher as, as Zach Davies. I think Eric Lauer has some interesting things about him, especially later in the year when he started to to kind of play with his fastball a little bit differently. But at the same time, he is like Zach Davies in which he doesn't miss a whole lot of bats, but like has worse command. So, and gives up a lot of homers and has been bad outside of Petco. So that's not great. Yeah, I mean, Davies, it, it does strike me that he would be a good fit for Petco, where the home runs are a little bit harder to come by, at least, than they generally are elsewhere. Well, and he's, and good, that, and he's good for Petco for a, for a Padres team that needs uh, that needs really assured back-end innings. Right. Though, he does get blown up at times, but then again, as you were pointing out, so does Eric Lauer. And so, so. does And so does every back-end starter. Right. That's yeah. the, especially in this run environment, it is just part of the deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we had a kind of tongue in cheek question here, uh, and I do want to go with the spirit of it. Uh, so the the question from Beer the Deer was Brewers save about $4.5 million with the trade. This money should go to A. Wheeler, B. Rendon, or C. Mark Atanasio. Uh, what, what's your answer? 
So my thought process on this is the money should go someplace. I And I think it will. I think they are going to still get back up over last year's opening day payroll. Uh, they certainly should. When they when the season opens, they should be up north of you know 122 million. But I don't think that it necessarily has to be splurged onto a big name player, a big acquisition, a splashy thing. I think that you can spread it around because they still have enough holes on this roster and places to put it that they could use this to create you know superior depth, which has been more of their mo than going out and getting top line talent in general over David Stearns' tenure. He is he has been a depth maven, and I think that they could definitely do that instead of, you know, going out and signing Anthony Rendon, which we talked about last weekend. I those sorts of acquisitions are probably pretty unlikely. So I mean, not only and and this is a, a little bit getting ahead of things on this, but you know, Junior Guerra got not non tendered. You've got um Zach Davies ended up moving on for somebody or for two guys that are going to be getting the league minimum, though Trent Grisham was also getting the league minimum. What basically you've got now is we were talking about 50 to 55 million projected lower than their opening day payroll uh, before. And now you're adding what seven, eight million to that as well. And what you're looking at is probably 55, 60 million of wiggle room just to get them back to where they were to start last year's uh, payroll. A little bit less than that. I would. I think it's closer to fifty to fifty-five at the moment. So, depending on what they do with Travis Shaw okay. and so some of those guys, fifty to fifty-five and fifty-five to sixty. I, I don't. That's not meaningful, but fair. Um, I think at the same time, when you're looking at these sorts of things, I I do understand what you're talking about in terms of uh, acquiring a whole lot of different people. But at the same time, when you're looking at it. We have seen, and I think that one of the big things that we talked about in terms of the Brewers taking a step to being a, a good team to being a team that ended up taking the NL Central in 2018 and being able to make a, a, a quality enough run again to be put in a position in which another September run ended up happening. Christian Yelich fundamentally changed this team. And there is absolutely nothing to say that you cannot understand or that they cannot try to build depth in a way in which they have now with Urias, they have with Lauer, and they've continuously tried to build depth that is cost-controlled, that is pre-ARB, and then you can go and get a really high-profile guy. If you're getting cost-controlled, really quality depth, and then you can add on top of it somebody who is a legitimate all-star talent, that is in my mind, actually a superior way than to go out and get a, you know, a bunch of like two win players because you, you're kind of hoping that like cumulatively those things can add up. But if you can get one to two win players that are at the league minimum, and then you can add a five win player on top of it, that's, that's a better way to go about building the team in my mind. Well, the question isn't whether or not it's a better way of building the team, because it probably is. The question is whether or not the brewers want to, and are likely to, take on the risk associated with giving a five yeah win, I know six win player I know but what you have said all the all this time through is that you would rather build through depth not not yeah, that, I mean not that you know the you, value in going after somebody like Rendon uh if you know they they've really thoroughly checked it out and think that the health is likely to be there that the decline isn't likely to come early and all of that it's fine I just I I think that Spreading out the risk is a better way to do things, especially with a front office that we've seen has been able to do uh, quite a good job of, of finding players that are not high profile and come in and they turn out to be better than we were expecting. We've seen it sort of again and again with this group. And what they've uh, been doing is doing it with players who are cost controlled. Right. But you can also do it with players like Christian Yelich if you have the ammunition to make a trade like that. And right. Which, again, they don't. And so my point right. before when we were talking last week was I said, you don't you can't wait four or five years to do that again. Like, if that's your plan, is that the only way that we're going to acquire high profile talent and really impact really high end franchise carrying talent is draft it or trade for it, then basically what you're saying is, well, the Brewers don't get it for, you know, another half decade at least. And that's if something breaks right. Well, 
or maybe it's Luis Urias and we're just drastically underrating him at this point. I mean, yeah, if something unexpected happens, then sure, maybe something can always come through. I mean, but well, no, but I, I think that's part of what they're trying to do is they're trying to take uh, upside shots here on guys and see what they can get to to pop. To me, and, to me, it sounds like to me, it looks like what they're they're gearing up to do is they're taking upside shots on guys that are making the league minimum or are RB uh or are in their arbit- arbitration stages and clearing out a bunch of money so they can pair those upside shots with somebody that is high end. Yeah, it, it could be. But again, as you brought up when we talked about it this weekend, to do that, they're going to need to have a deal that they feel comfortable with. Yeah. Like the fact that they weren't comfortable giving a fourth year to Yasmani Grandal, which is what you know the rumors have been, mm-hmm. that would tend to indicate that they really don't want to give up deals that are potentially disastrous on the back end and could really put them in, in rough shape at the end of the deal, which means they're, you know, th- there's limitations on then who they can get if you're not willing to give up those bad years. Yeah. You, and every certain single- guys will not be available to you. And- you cannot get Anthony Rendon if you're worried about that sixth and seventh year. And almost every single time that we hear about Rendon, it's talking about how the fact that he doesn't really want to play baseball that long. So that's one thing to keep in mind. But the other thing that you've been seeing with almost every single one of these extremely high profile deals for top end free agent talent is that they're getting an opt out deal after their second year. Yeah, because of this pending uh, labor Armageddon that's coming up in 2022, I think that it's going to shake up baseball in a pretty serious way. And who knows where things are going to stand when the dust settles on that? Well, because basically the opt out is a great deal for for players, right? Because they can basically be like, well, I can go somewhere. I can basically go wherever I want for a couple of years, perform well, get paid a bunch and then hit the free free agent market again and try to cash in one more time. Or if something, you know, I get hurt and something happens, I've got these guaranteed deals on the back end that I can just make sure that I get paid no matter what. But at the same time, I don't think actually, you know, so many people talk about these things. They're great deals for teams. Teams like teams would if the Brewers got somebody like Rendon and he opted out after two years, they would love it. They would. Oh, yeah. Love it. Yeah. If they got two good years and then he was in a position to opt out and get more money. Yeah, they would. They would love that. The problem is, is. To do that, you have to take that risk on the back end. And Certainly, we haven't really but I'm seen them that, want to do that. Uh, well, I think what you've been looking at for the longest period of time is a team that is not willing to take uh, that long-term risk where they absolutely did with Braun, but they haven't been willing to do it when they already had one of those contracts on the books. Yeah, and with Braun coming off the books, though, you can make the argument that we may be headed into that situation with Lorenzo Kane at for the last few years of his contract. 20, I don't know. I don't th- I don't think what is it? Twenty million dollars a year? Uh, not even. I think it tops out at like 18. Yeah. So that's not that's not an albatross contract for me. Well, I mean, by the end of it, it it could be because what's really propping up his value right now is defense, and that does tend to go as guys get into their mid thirties, which is yeah. where he's headed now. I mean, so. I do think it's dangerous to, you know, uh, have a little bit of short term memory and assume what we saw last year was what it's going to be going forward. No, but there is there is risk there. There's now. risk I in mean, literally every deal. The vast majority of the risk is the fact that you're acquiring somebody who's not very good, and so. The uh, the other risk is to actually get good players. You have to be willing to to look down two years down the road and be like, well, maybe, you know, I wish we didn't have to pay this person so much. And like yeah. sometimes that happens if you're waiting for this magical moment in which you either have the time that or the the prospect currency to go out and acquire somebody who is a absolute all star talent and you don't have to pay them because you can pay in prospects instead that's not happening anytime soon. And the, uh, the other option is this magical moment where you get a really high end guy that doesn't really want a long-term deal. That's not coming either. And so the options are have all of this money and actually spend it on a high end talent or use all of this money and buy a bunch of like, you know, uh, Zach Wheeler types who are going to get like $15 million a year, um, which nobody wants to do either because he's got injury risk. And so nobody tends to like the risk either on mid on mid on mid range free agents. It's either buy somebody who is established old on a one year deal or go for really low end talent and hope you you score on it. Nobody wants to buy the mid talent free agent like Lorenzo Kane because then everybody still says that's a bad investment. Right. 
though that does kind of go in cycles. We'll see kind of where it lands this year. There are some guys, I mean, a good indication early Yasmani Grandal getting the four years, $73 million is a good indication that maybe the mid market, which is of free agents. Isn't terrible, which is still a four to five win player, not even being able to get $20 million a year. Yes, it is much better than he was able to do last year, though. So maybe it's loosening up from what it was, it was is what be- I'm saying. Only because he didn't have the the free agent uh, compensation attached to him. It's the only yeah, reason. It's a big factor, yeah. Uh, before we move on to other things, I did want to talk a little bit about Trent Grisham. And uh, what was your general thoughts on giving up Trent Grisham at this point in time? So I think you said something that was very good about this, and I want to give you a chance to say it here. <laughs> uh, I don't know what I said. Uh, was that not you that said that uh, this is this deal may be selling uh, high on Trent Grisham and buying low on Luis Urias? I thought uh, that was you. No, that wasn't me. But that, yeah, I mean, that could be. Okay, maybe it was Andy then. It was in one of our group chats somewhere. <laughs> I mean, I, I, the thing is, Grisham has so many question marks, and he had a wonderful minor league year in which he showed by all accounts, uh, real improvements. You know, people in the game that are far smarter than me, you know, talked about the fact that he they really did like what he did last year and that they thought there were real improvements. Um, those improvements absolutely did not show up in the major leagues. Uh, he was 10% worse than the league average hitter when he came up in the major, it came up to, to the majors and he still has big question marks. And we saw, and we even talked about over and over and over on the, on the podcast to the point that I, I know that I annoyed people is there, there's really nothing you can say about Grisham until you see what he does next year. There's just no, you don't know. Um, and so taking somebody like that with those kinds of question marks at a position of depth, which the Brewers have in, in the outfield and being able to then move it to somebody else who is a question mark. And, and Urias is absolutely still a question mark. And you can move that question mark. That is a high upside guy to, uh, to a position in which you actually do need a meaningful upgrade to me, I think makes all the sense in the world. Um, Grisham, I don't, I don't know what he's going to be. Uh, he didn't show the power that he's, he, he was showing in the minor leagues. And a lot of the patients ended up turning out to be a lot like passiveness again, that we talked about how the fact that that was a problem in the past. And if he can play center field, I think that's actually quite a nice little pickup for, for San Diego. I think he could be a nice little upside guy if they can get him to work in center field. That could work really well. Well, I think their plan is Taylor Trammell, hopefully to be the center fielder long term, but him potentially being in that big outfield, a good corner outfielder with some speed, a guy who can play center but is in a corner, can offer them some ability. And they actually would have a very good defensive outfield because they would also have Manny Margot out there as well. So yeah, they could. Yeah, I mean, this isn't a Padres podcast, but I I wouldn't want him as my starting center fielder next year if I was trying to compete. Manny Margot? Yeah. Oh, no. I think that's, yeah, that's another question. But um, anyway, moving on, because there was other news, and it's actually others Padres-related news. And I know you were on top of this on Twitter, so I'll just kind of let you go here. But we got, um, the, we got the player to be named later. Oh, yeah. the Mitch. Okay, yes, Mitch, Mitch Reichert did ask. You were correct. <laughs> He did ask, who will the player to be named later be? Ooh, I have you ever talk about players to be named later here? Yeah. My wife actually asked me in the car when we were driving to pick up the microphone from Andy. Uh, what is the deal with players to be named later? How does that work? Oh, no, I don't want to explain that. I just want to say that they're probably going to take some like 20-year-old catching prospect. Or the fact that the alternative to the player to be named later was cash usually means that you're picking from a relatively light list of players well it's a little bit like when they got manny pena they're gonna they're gonna i i would put good money on the fact they're either gonna get a really fringy reliever who can throw a bajillion miles an hour and has no idea where it's going or they're gonna get a young catching prospect who they think is a good defensive guy and they hope he can hit and in fairness we should point out the padres are filthy filthy loaded with uh really raw good young prospects especially they've really been doing a lot of work in latin america because that's where aj preller really made his reputation uh so there are a lot of those types of guys i'm sure sitting around in the padre system at the moment so yeah maybe maybe that is the direction they go but i wouldn't expect it to be anybody too impactful just because like i said when the alternative is cash it's usually not you know a super high-end sort of guy we're not we're not looking at you know michael brantley being on the 
the docket here. Well, it's not that sort of a player I will to be named later. I will say the player to be named later a lot of the time actually can be tied to certain successes of either a team or a player. Right. I mean, that's what happened with the the Michael Brantley deal. Right. Was there was a group of players and it was like if the Bre- I think it I don't remember this 100 percent, but I think it was something like if the Brewers made the playoffs, uh, Cleveland got to choose whoever they wanted. If the Brewers didn't, they got to choose. Um, and nope, so, that's exactly right. That's what so happened. It can be one of those things, too, where it's like, well, it you know, here's a set of players that you can choose from if, you know, Zach Davies gets 20 starts or I don't know. I'm just making something up. But if it's like. You know, or the Padres make the playoffs or if, you know, Zach Davies gets 20 starts or if Grisham ends up starting 130 games or whatever it is, then maybe you get to pick from this, these certain players. But if, you know, somebody like Davies gets hurt or something like that, then you just get cash like you can actually put some of these things on it. Uh, it's not just always, you know, it means it's a throwaway thing. It could just mean there are some actual like performance things tied to it. But but depending on who uh, goes a little bit. All right, so let's talk about uh, the Drew Pomerantz signing because he did sign a deal. I don't think we have the exact details on it yet, but we know it's four years and something like eight or nine million a year. Yeah, we do actually have the the uh, details on it. So he got an eight million dollar signing bonus. He's going to make four million dollars in salary. That's just an accounting thing. Uh, and then it's uh, six million for twenty twenty one, and then it's I think eight million for both. Uh, 2022 and 2023 it, it might be it might be nine million for those last couple I, I don't have the math in front of me but yeah it's it's functionally eight to nine million for an uh, annual average value on it and and Pomeranz is going to uh, do quite well for the Padres in terms of like adding to their mix I actually had been talking about I don't remember if I talked about it on the podcast here or the other podcast or if I was just g chatting with people I don't remember uh, I said actually one of the more interesting things that I I thought the Padres could do was because it actually came out that they were interested in Pomeranz. Like that was a connection that was made early, uh, either publicly or privately. I don't remember. Uh, and I was like, you know, what they might do is actually sign Pomeranz and move around and try to trade Kirby Yates and try to fix some other hole that way in which you go and get, you know, because it's like Pomeranz only costs money. If you can go get cost control talent for somebody like Kirby Yates that everybody wants a pretty you know it's an interesting thing it'd be like the brewers signing Dylan patantas turning around and trading josh Hader for a really high-end starting pitcher right like you can you can work those things around and try to to move it and pomeranz at the very least gives them a phenomenal back end of the bullpen that's going to have kirby yates uh it's going to have drew pomeranz it'll have andres munoz and they've got other guys is still coming through because they've got uh you know uh, a lot of guys who can throw very hard and miss a lot of bats. Uh, so Drew Rasmussen asked, or I'm sorry, not Drew, Joe Rasmussen asks, um, what relief picture options do you like for the Brewers now that Smith and Pomerantz are off the market? Dylan Batanzas. So Batanzas is the guy for you and you're not uh, too worried about the health there because it was a big concern this year. He missed a good chunk of the season. Yeah, I mean, he hurt his leg. It wasn't like an arm issue. Okay. So less of a concern for you. Okay. Um, there are all right. There are a lot of really good relievers on the market. Um, I, I would not be concerned with trying to figure out, I guess like some, I don't want to say like high upside guys, but if you're looking for, for guys who can come in and pitch in the back end of a bullpen and be really interesting, meaningful guys, you've got, you know, a lot of people aren't going to want to go and, and mess with guys like Cody Allen, but you've still got, uh, you know, Sam, D- well, Sam Dyson is now in some legal trouble. So uh, allegedly, I don't actually I know that for that. sure. Yeah, that's he's bad. Be- he's being investigated for it. So I don't necessarily know that that's going to be something that uh, uh, will be an option, but you've still got, you've still got your Brandon Morrow's out there. You've still got Pat Neshek who can still, you know, do a job out there. You've still got uh you know Sergio Romos can still do it Hector Rondon is still going to be out there I think Joe Smith actually signed but if not he's still another really good option out there Pedro Strupp is still going to probably pitch at the back end of some uh bullpen you've got Arodis Vizcaino who's still out like you've got a lot of guys who are still interesting and still can pitch in high leverage spots I wouldn't be worried about uh having the money or opportunities to go and get 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 some arms and what I will say is uh, our man Wei Chung Wong is going to be on the free agent market again. Bring him home. <laughs> and so 
there are there is at least one more uh, relief arm available on the market now that the Brewers have decided that they're not going to tender Junior Guerra, which was something you brought up uh, earlier. I just wanted to get your thoughts on this because this did surprise me. And again, this was projected by MLB Trade Rumors to be a $3.5 million salary. So they save about $3 million here. I really was surprised because he has been so versatile and so useful in so many different roles for them that they would decide to move on from him. What do you make of this? Oh, it's I I think it's just to save money. I don't think it's I don't think it's all that complicated. I think they they are like we've got a lot of different arms and this is one that would cost us money. So, we're going to most likely they are going to get another arm or two on the free agent market that they think are probably better than Junior Guerra, whether it's for the starting rotation or the bullpen, we'll have to see. But you know, whether you're talking about uh, you know, Knable, you're going to talk about Hater, you're going to talk about uh, Freddie Peralta's probably in the bullpen now for good. You've got uh, yeah, Alex Claudio maybe, but then you've got guys like Bobby Wall, Ray Black, uh, Jacob Faria. Like you've got all these guys around. Oh yeah, so I think in a lot of it is just the fact that they have acquired so many guys who can pitch, especially in multiple innings. You got Brent Suter who's going to be down there as well. You've got maybe even Corbin Burns who's still going to be pitching out of the bullpen. But a lot of this is they've got so many guys who are uh, under contract for the league minimum. And so if you're trying to figure out and trying to say, who are we going to make room for? It's unfortunately going to be people like Junior Guerra who will have to get paid more than the league minimum. And what that what because they're also still going to be acquiring people from the outside. And so they're trying to think of this going through at the end where they're like, we're not going to have room for everyone. And so they're making the early call on this. And I think it's an early sign that they are going to absolutely be acquiring pitchers of some capacity, whether they're relievers or starters, we're not necessarily sure yet, but I think letting Gara go is a pretty big indication that they are going to be acquiring pitchers. A um, couple of questions and then we'll get out of here and let everybody get back to their festivizing. Um, Bradley Stein, or sorry, Brady Steinberg asks, in a total contrarian move, does the Urias acquisition open the door for Stearns to move Hira and others for a big time star a la Lindor or Betts? Uh, no. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's very unlikely as well. I don't think... Uh, to be honest, I don't even think the Brewers would uh, move Hira for Betts because Betts only has one more year of control, and apparently nobody likes to acquire people, even if they're really good for just one year of control. Um, so you have to think about the fact well, that— and it's not just one year of control. You'd also be paying him, what, $25 million for that year? So well, you'd be I mean, paying yeah. a hefty salary and only getting him for one year. Yeah, but I mean, we've talked about—right, but again— that, I understand you're talking about trading somebody for it, and so I, I'm going to to get that point. But at the same time, we can't be upset about paying people for when you know they're still good and productive, and then also saying that you can't acquire people via free agency because you're worried that they might not be good and productive four years down the road. No, um, but we live in a surplus value world, and that doesn't mean that you have, doesn't that, mean you have to perpetuate it. Well, no, but it. Hold on. It does matter. A team has to think of that when they're that. making the calculus on whether or not they're going to trade for somebody. If a guy that. is on a, a ridiculous contract like Christian Yelich, it increases what you're willing to give up for him because it allows you then to do other things with that money. When I, you have to pay a guy that money, you can't use that money on something else. So it limits your options further. I, and, know, I know this. Uh, I also said prior to it that nobody wants to acquire a, a guy who only has one year of control left. So I understand that, that calculus plays into it. And I also yeah, understand. And I also like Lindor, I think, has two years, right? Yeah. So I, that's why my next point was going to be like value wise, I could see Lindor making a little bit more sense. But I, no, I don't. I think here is much more likely to be extended than he is to be traded. Yeah, I I would totally agree with that. I think it's very unlikely that they would do something like that just because it's yeah, it it would be a very risky move for them and it definitely then puts them in a position where well, you really have opened your window and you know it's shutting hard in like a year or two. So, so I think baseball perspectives just did a a thing. I don't actually remember if I should I should check before I actually get into this to see if it actually was posted, because if it was not published yet, I shouldn't talk about what's in an actual article <laughs> that's up. Um, yeah, so it is up. OK, so they actually ran something that uh, in which they were talking about 
like what a potential Mookie Betts trade might look like. Like how if you play along with the fact that, you know, Boston is going to move somebody like that and they and and uh, Matt Trueblood ended up putting just a ton of 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 things through. And basically the thing that came out was like none of them are great. Like, you know, like the Padres to acquire Mookie Betts, they were like, you know, Hunter Renfro and Luis Patino. Like, great. Like, here is better than, uh, here is more valuable than both of those. So it's, it is a, it is a pretty big indictment on the fact that people do value control years more than they do talent um, on any given thing. And right, we talk about risk profiles and I wrote about it a ton. So like, I don't need to go into it, but I mean, but that makes sense. Teams have to consider control years. I understand that. And the point is, just because it's rational doesn't mean that it's bad. Actually, the fact it is rational is the whole reason that the system needs to be changed. Yeah, that's that's a fair enough point. Um, Well, let's take this one last question and then get out of here. The Rays just DFA'd Jesus Aguilar. Do you expect the Brewers to claim him? And that's from Matt Bowen. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it seems unlikely that they would claim him, but I also wouldn't be shocked if he somehow ended up back on the team after uh, this offseason, depending on how everything else shakes out, especially now that we're looking at the very real possibility that teams will be carrying 13 position players by mandate. So there's, you know, a pretty decent chance of it if if it does shake out that way. So. We will have to see how that plays out. Uh, did you have anything else before we get out of here, JP? Um, let me just, I was going to say, uh, do you, if you had to guess, do you think Eric Lauer is in the opening day starting rotation? Obviously, we don't have all the information yet, but I was just going to ask, like, because you didn't really answer that before. Like, it, like, when push comes to shove, I understand there are other options out there, but I was saying, like, if I made you say yes or no, what would you say? Yeah, I think he will be. Yeah, I do too. I think he will be in the opening day. Whether or not that lasts for the full season, harder to say. But yeah, I do think he'll be in the opening day rotation. Yeah, I agree with you. All right. So uh, thank you for listening. Um, This was brought to us once again by Carbon 4 Brewing and by our Patreon sponsors. So uh, everybody have a wonderful, safe uh, holiday weekend. There's going to be some nasty weather. So safe travels in getting to wherever it is you need to get to. And, uh, and enjoy your break. I was going to say, we wish absolutely everybody and their, and their loved ones a happy Thanksgiving. If you didn't, if you don't have a chance to get home, uh, for Thanksgiving and, and you're doing a Friendsgiving or you're doing something solo or anything of that sort, we still wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. And we hope that we provided you some company. Otherwise, everybody, please enjoy your time with your family. Uh, and, and happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. But it's hard to